0: Hey, guys. Blacked out. Now it says we're live again. Hasn't started the counter yet. It has. It has on your side? Yeah. Cool beans. All right. Well, it's saying we're live. This is Ashley Williams. I've got online with me Eli Williams. And hey we, are, we are bi country old. Eli is in Kansas, uh, United States, and I am in Cerro Bueno, Honduras. I was showing him, I stopped on the side of the road and bought me a big fresh pineapple, so I'm eating a little pineapple and I ground, uh, brown pound hamburger meat. So that's supper tonight. I'm also having uh, a big fat cup of um, honey, no, canal washed perinema. So that's uh it's gonna be supper tonight. But Eli is on for a little bit. He's got stuff to do, I think, later on, and then he and I will do a video call before he goes to bed. But I was gonna talk a little bit about some of the questions. A couple of people uh, asked what we're doing here. And so one of the things, uh, and the other day I posted some pictures of me sitting in a dental chair drinking coffee, and a couple of people thought that I was actually at the dentist office drinking coffee. Yeah, uh, although my dentist would probably let me drink coffee if I wanted to, uh, but a few months back, I think maybe Eli knows better than I do. It was back in June, I think. Eli and I were in Honduras, and we found somebody giving out dental chairs, and so he and I borrowed my buddy Herbert's truck. It was like a nice Hilux Toyota, and so we just sped down and accidentally went into El Salvador for a minute. And I got in a little trouble with mom when she found out that we were technically in El Salvador and I was doing something in the truck and Eli goes in the store by himself and is buying stuff. And she was worried he's going to get kidnapped or something. Uh, I said, nah, as soon as they have to start feeding them, they'll bring them back. (laughs) (laughs) But they, uh, we went down and there was a group and I don't know what group they were very secretive about it. Uh, we're giving out dental chairs. So Eli and I scored a dental chair and they let us pick an autoclave, which is the machine you just sterilize stuff with. They let us pick that out of the junk pile. Um, uh, uh, and so worked on it a little bit. I got it working fair. It's not working really great. So when we, it's like a, it sort of looks like an espresso machine. It steams water. Uh, It's got like a little tiny boiler in it and it steams water to a certain temperature and then that sterilizes everything. The problem is the shutoff doesn't work. So somebody has to sit there with a timer and then they unplug it when it's time. So it all works. We're still looking for some dental equipment for that, some the drills and stuff like that. Um, But otherwise, we've got a basic dental clinic. So I was in the little dental room wiring everything up. Uh, we've got to get a small air compressor so I can start checking out the pneumatics and getting all that stuff working. But it's it's a dental chair. And so we're open to do dental work here. Uh, we've already done some. We had a brigade. Uh, There's supposed to be one next week and they canceled. So we won't do any medical or dental next week like we'd planned. <clears throat> but we had some landslides on the farm and that's why I'm here. They were mainly landslides on the project side of the farm where we built all of this. So it, we were, uh, had a nice double bathroom. So it was going to be two bathrooms, two showers. We were about halfway done with it. And then the landslide happened and it washed the land out. And so it started literally sliding down the hill. So it had moved about two and a half inches. So my guys went in and got the toilets and stuff like that out, took the roof off of it. And so that stopped it from sliding. So I came up, I was going to build a a retaining wall and going to stop it from sliding, but it slid some more while we were here and it rained every day. And so we just made the call to tear it down. But in doing so, one of the main things that we were losing was this massive telephone pole that carries the transmission lines, which are like 34,000 volts or something that was falling down. So we, uh, it fell enough that it was pulling the electricity loose so they went ahead and cut the electric line the breaker and all the service and stuff was inside that bathroom so we lost that and then the pole that had the meter on it we had to move that so the company came out and moved their telephone pole we moved our service and then once they hooked us back up then i had to reinstall breaker boxes and stuff like that Uh, we also lost the water service because it took out two of the water lines going to two different communities when the landslide hit. So today we finished up hooking water back to the building and to the one bathroom that's on the other side of the property. And then we built a small retaining wall to hold it so that it didn't slide away. Uh, <clears throat> and so we covered up uh, everything where the landslide was, we covered up black plastic so that it wouldn't, uh, uh, Every time it rained, it wouldn't keep falling off uh, or it c- c- wouldn't keep sliding. So the rain now just goes on top of the water and the plastic's about 120 feet long. So it just takes it out uh, into the farm and then there's a river right near that. So it just basically goes right back into the river. So when it comes to our dry season in May, we're going to have to hopefully have, we're going to have to round up the money to build a massive retaining wall. Uh, It's going to be three small retaining walls and then one really, really big, 80 foot wide, 12 foot tall, and about two and a half foot deep uh, retaining wall. So we've already been figuring uh, 200 meters of rock and all the concrete it's going to take and how long it's going to take and how many men it's going to take and all that. But there will have to be two smaller retaining walls built, and then we're going to have to Fill those areas with uh, with dirt. So there's going to be it's going to be a massive project that'll take probably about two months. Uh, And then at that point, I think the the land will be pretty secure. So we did water, electric, um, and there was a lot of cobweb wiring that we hodgepodge inside the building. So we took care of that. So those are just things that we sort of piddled with this week, uh, and hopefully got them all done to you know in pretty good shape. Uh, Eli, can, you can hear me, can't you? Yeah. Okay. So that was pretty much what we did. Uh, <clears throat> I was always told you should tell a funny story when you do a podcast. So Bahidio and a couple of guys, we have this, uh, there's a black cro- quarry, a black rock quarry. I've never been to it, but it's, we've ordered rock from there. And so it has this beautiful black rock uh, and they come in these massive boulders and we have to break them up. So Billy and them broke the rocks up and they built this cool retaining fence. It's about two and a half feet tall uh, and it looked pretty and it sort of meandered along where some of the washes water was going over. So it was a great idea. He had a beautiful little wall. It took him a long time to build it. It all had to be done by hand. So it took a couple of days. So today we were building a small retaining wall for the bathroom, which the contractor always wants to make it bigger because that means it takes longer. And So I walk over there and they're bringing this black rock in and I said, well, I thought we were out of rock. And he's like, no, there's lots of rock on the other side of the building. So that sounded suspicious to me. And so I knew there wasn't any over there yesterday. So I walk over there and so they're literally taking the one wall down, retaining wall down or erosion wall down to go and build a retaining wall. So they're taking the work that they just did and took it apart. And then we had we had filled sandbags to stop the wash. And so when they were mixing the concrete, they were taking the sandbags and dumping them out to make mixed concrete only to refill them again and make uh, more sandbags later on, Uh, which they could have just put sand in a wheelbarrow and take it down and mixed it. So then they're thinking as well, the bag's already there. We'll just take it down. And then we'll fill another one later. So those are my funny stories for today. And they're funny, not funny, haha. They're funny, sort of sort of sad that uh, they've probably done that a bunch of times. and don't even know about it. Different things like that. But a couple of the fan questions, I call them, or customer questions, people that watch us questions. Where is the farm? If you go to Google Satellite, you can look up Legacy Farms Coffee. Cerro Bueno, which is C-E-R-R-O-B-U-E-N-O, Honduras. And Google Satellites will take you right to a big patch of land and you'll see buildings, but right in the center of where it takes you to, that's our organic bodega. And that's in the center of the farm. If you'll follow that back towards the South, then it'll take you to the main road. And on that main road, you're going to see our project, which is a one main church building. And right now it's one tiny little bathroom. And so that'll be right by the main road. So if you ever have trouble, let me know. And I'll try to help you find that. I think I can shoot you a link, even if you need one. Uh, the other question this week was, can we visit the farm? And yeah, we have an apartment. We're working on a second apartment. We have a cool little apartment. It's got its own little you know fridge stove and microwave, and it's got its pri- own private shower and bathroom. So, uh, the, the, Charges vary according to what you're wanting. If you need somebody to bring you meals every day, or you know, if you need an interpreter, but yeah, uh, you're, and people are welcome to come down the farm. We do regulate when you can come. We only do one visitor every other week during harvest. <clears throat> if you're a coffee person, harvest is the time to come, but it's also the time that we can't do a lot of tourist stuff and things like that, unless you have to come. Unless you happen to come when we've just gotten through picking and we're doing more drying. And then we have definitely have more time at night. But you'll have the opportunity to go out to the drying fields with us to go pick coffee with the workers. You'll see the whole process. Um, Depending on what time January uh, through March that you come. uh, We could be drying coffee. We'll be drying coffee. We'll be picking coffee. But later in March, we'll actually be processing some coffee, which means we'll be taking the haul off the women will be hand selecting the coffee. So if you came here in that time, you could actually roast some coffee that was just picked. Or you, in March, you could roast the coffee that was picked in January. And that's the freshest coffee you'll ever have in your life. It needs to rest for 30 days. So we'll pick out some coffee that's 30 days old and let you roast it. We have two little roasters on the farm and you can roast it yourself and drink it. Or you can take fresh roasted or green coffee back to the States with you. There's not a Not a lot of regulations. Uh, The how can we help? Uh, We've had quite a few people. Jerry came out and those guys were like working and helping. Ben and Brian came out. Same thing. Uh, You can do that. Uh, I think maybe some of the uh, one, maybe the question they were asked is how can we help as far as the landslides and all. That is part of the nonprofit. So we definitely need people to donate to that. And that is LFMissions.org. Or if you go to the LegacyFarmsCoffee.com, there's a donate button there. Uh, You can mail a check to 2214 Arapahoe Road, Mound Ridge, Kansas, 67107. So those are ways that you can help. Or uh, Eli accepts cash, don't you? Uh, Yes. Yeah. You can just send Eli cash and uh, he'll buy shiny things with it. So or you need to go paintballing. He, uh, Eli takes donation for paintballing, new taekwondo gear, uh, things like that. So, uh, And off topic, Eli, I saw a show where it was like a military show, and they were sparring with uh, electric stun gun knives. <laughs> so every time you get a stab, it, it gives 70,000 volts. Wow, that's amazing we need one of those. They're like a hundred bucks. So somebody donate a hundred bucks for Eli's, uh, stun gun knife that he needs to train with. All right. Well, I got, I'm going to head out. Uh, All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show and I will see you Monday night. And Eli's going to bring me something to eat like a Brahms hamburger or something to the airport, uh, when he picks me up and, uh, I will be angry. I love you, man, and we'll see you here pretty soon, okay? See yeah. ya. All right. Good night. I'll talk to you around tea. All right, guys. Uh the screen looks different than what it normally does. So I'm not sure if I click something wrong. Or if uh, it's not reading that uh, a a counter and it's not reading. the, So I'm not exactly sure what I did wrong this time, but I can't see who's watching, how many people are watching and those things. And normally that. uh... Here we go. Now I can see people on there. I uh, got some thumbs up, got a couple of people watching. Anybody that's watching, welcome to come online. Uh, welcome to shoot me a question. <clears throat> I hope everybody can hear me pretty well. But I am in Cerro Honduras, and we are Legacy Farms Coffee. We're Legacy Farms Coffee 200 on YouTube. Um, I think somebody's uh, on YouTube right now. We are Legacy Farms Coffee 2010 on Instagram. We desperately need you guys to share us. We are uh, here in Honduras. I've been trying to do some work on uh, the landslides that happened. We're actually Monday going to start work at this uh, a guy up the road. The landslide took out the entire wall of his tiny adobe house. We'll be doing that. Uh, Will Young is on asking how how's the damage to us? We lost two really nice bathrooms that were on the top of the hill. Uh, They started sliding down. The guys were able to go in there and pull the breaker box, um, the toilet sink and some stuff like that before it went down the hill. But Uh, we were able to build uh, two little retaining walls. One of them held the other set of bathrooms that we have. It's a single bathroom shower unit. And then we did some preventative stuff. The, The main landslide that we're really worried about it's going to be a massive undertaking to take care of that. So we spread big giant sheets of nylon or plastic. They're like 25 feet wide and 125 feet long. So we put three of those out to where the land had been sliding, tied them together and, um, and, and put, them down, put sandbags holding them. So now when it's raining, that rain sort of bypasses the dirt that was the landslide. We've, we're in the rainy season right now, so there's, there'd be no way to get in there and do it. The wall that we're gonna to have to build is gonna be about, we think it's gonna to have to be about 12 feet tall, which will be an eight foot tall retaining wall. It'll be four foot deep. It's gonna be about 80 feet wide and about two and a half feet deep. Um, so we're praying that the government comes in and fixes the roadside. And if they do that, then we're gonna hopefully coordinate with them and they'll have some rebar where we can attach to and start building our wall. Cause at the angle we're doing it, our wall will actually push against and support their wall. And then their wall will actually help, help us a little bit, but not much. We'll have more of a freestanding wall, but we will be able to get that done hopefully in May. But we're probably, uh, there's two other retaining walls that will have to be built where I, the land slid a little bit. And if we don't do something about it, you know, this, this year or next year, uh, if we have more torrential rains, like we had, then it'll go too. And once they slide, then it's just a nasty business trying to fix everything. Uh, I did get uh, did the last of the water. When the landslide, it took out all the water lines. So they hooked the water lines back up, but they didn't hook us up. And so today we got it hooked in and uh, got the shower, the building, uh, all hooked back up to water. Yesterday, I finished, I've still got a lot of wiring to do on the building, but I finished all the wiring, made it safe, and installed the new breaker box. Uh, we installed some new security lights. Uh, now it's pretty well known that we've got the dental stuff inside the dental clinic and we're storing a lot of building materials in there. So every Sunday when there's church and Wednesday when there's church. Oh, excuse me, I had to have a drink. People see the materials there. And so now we're, we're doing security lights. We have a guard a couple nights a week, but we don't have a budget for one every night. So we're doing a, a security lights to light the place up. And my, what I call the, the, the free security system I have, I've given three people the Wi-Fi password. Uh, and that's why I keep the Wi-Fi going. Uh, they come up and just hang out around the building and do, uh, you know, surf the web or whatever they do. So there's somebody, a couple, you know, just randomly comes by and, and checks their email and they mainly Facebook and listen to music on YouTube, stuff like that. But that's sort of where we are with that. We've got a group that's coming, uh, <clears throat> I think, the 2nd of December. I won't be here, but I had to get everything ready. We bagged sand and took it down to where the kids classroom is, and they're going to hopefully build on the two walls that, uh, that are there. So they'll, uh, they'll work for one day and they're going to have a big VBS. I've invited like a hundred kids. Haven't told them yet how many kids. I don't want to scare them off. There was a medical dental clinic scheduled, but for whatever reason, they canceled that. So uh, that's, that's a huge thing for us here is doing the medical and dental. I, uh, I drove by a roadside store today and they had pineapple. So I bought me a pineapple. And haven't had supper, so I'm going to eat pineapple online. lime. For those of you that weren't listening earlier, I was talking to my son, Eli. He logged in first. They built a, wasn't a retaining wall necessarily, but it was an erosion wall because there was a couple of places the water leaves the property. And we wanted to slow it down. So they built a wall that was about two and a half feet wide, and it pyramided up to about two and a half feet tall. And that's, that did a really great job of stop, uh, stopping the water, but it comes from the black rock quarry that's near us or not near us, but we buy some rock from there. And so yesterday we finished the last retaining wall and we were out of rocks. So today we were planning to go get some more rocks. And when I got there this morning, I was a little bit late. And so the guys were building a retaining wall and using black rock. And so I said, where'd you get the rock? And they were like, "Oh, it's on the other side of the building. So they were literally disassembling the wall that they had built earlier and using it for the other part. So I'm not sure how that registered in their mind as being practical or smart, but that's what they did. And so I came up and so we'll have to order more rock and have it delivered so they can rebuild the one wall because they were already starting to mix concrete. So we had to finish that part of it. So that was my, one of my funny things for today that uh, it has to be funny because you just can't imagine when you're not here how much money gets wasted on things like that because I think it took four men three days to build that wall because the bo- the rock comes in these massive chunks and they have to take a sledgehammer and they just break it into you know manageable pieces and the pieces are probably 50, 60, 70 pounds each so it's it was a big job to break it up and then haul it down to where the lower part of the project where they used it and then they were getting it from the left side of the project, take it all the way over to the right side of the project today and using it for a little retaining all, but that's sort of Honduras. Uh, that's uh, that's the way, oh, excuse me. That's the way things work. Sometimes it's whoever's in charge of it. Pineapple for dinner. Well, actually I've been pineapple and I, I um, had a pound of hamburger left. So I, I, Brown my hamburger meat. And so I'm just eating a bowl full of hamburger meat for supper. And then pineapple will be my snack. So that's, uh, that's how I cook when I'm here by myself. Um, uh, I usually eat, I'm on my second box of 30 eggs. So I bought another box today. So I boil them, I scramble them, I fry them, I make an omelet, uh, I usually stop and buy a couple of onions, uh, tomatoes, potatoes, just basic stuff. And that's what I, I don't do anything fancy. I, I eat quick. I do eat a big breakfast in the morning. So I'll, I'll fry about a, at least six eggs for breakfast, throw a piece of ham in there, uh, I'll toast some tortillas and stuff like that. Uh, A lot of times the women will bring me tortillas. I have to ask them, but they'll bring, if I ask them, they'll bring me tortillas from their house, especially Anna will bring them. uh, And so then I'll have tortillas for a couple of days, but I also buy the store bought ones. So I'm not, uh, I'm not too picky on eating. Last night, Santos was a guard on top of the hill. So I had, uh, I had told him to jump in the car and we went to a little restaurant downtown and had, uh, $2 $2 tacos. And so we ate a couple tacos and I had, uh, a fancy for a chai tea, a frozen chai tea. She brought it out with whipped cream and all in it. And that was pretty good for my snack. I haven't, we haven't been out to eat or I haven't been out to eat since I've been here. So, uh, <clears throat> I think, I think Santos liked it. He hadn't been to many restaurants in his life. <laughs> There's nothing better than a $2 taco. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. i going to town tomorrow. I'm going to meet with a friend of mine, and he and his wife. His wife, he and his wife, and I will go eat lunch. Then I'm going to hit the little local market. I've got to get me some more Honduran V60s. If you guys have seen those online, uh, I don't see one here. It's basically a little a cone, sort of like a cheesecloth, and they do pour overs Uh, because I mean, that's basically how they drink coffee. They, they do pour overs and we think it's some fancy thing. That's what they do every day. I sell them online for like $3. And so, uh, the last time I was here or a couple of trips ago, I went into the store and every house you come to in Honduras is going to have that. And there was a guy in the shop the other day from Nicaragua. He knew exactly what they were when he saw it. So I gave him one, um, But I've been to El Salvador, Guatemala, all the houses have the same thing. And uh, so I went in the store and I told the woman she had two sizes, small and big. And I said, I I need a uh, uh, coladora. And she said, oh, they're right over here. She took them, show them. And so I just grabbed both stacks. There was probably 25 or or something in there. And, uh, And she said, do you know what they're for? And I said, yeah, they're for coffee. And she said, yeah. She said, yeah. And uh, she said, you know, that they're they're not disposable. You can use them over and over again. And so the girl thought that I was just using it once and throwing them away because I was buying 25 of them. And I explained to her, no, I sell them to the green goes on my website. And she sort of laughed. But to, uh, I also like to get uh, sort of shop for different different little coffee cups. Uh, I went to a shop one day and they didn't have anything that matched. So I just I bought a couple of different cups. I don't really care if they match, but it is better if they do match. And I usually buy four and then I'll either sell two or give two away, something like that. Will says you can sell anything to a gringo. If you write Honduras on it, <laughs> that's probably about right. Because when we go to the we've taken groups to the Valley of the Angels, uh you know, and it's just this big tourist thing. They accept dollars. A lot of them speak English uh, and it's a lot of the craftsmen are actually the ones selling the, uh, the items. And so it's great to go into a store and somebody's actually painting something as, you know, and you come back later and you actually buy what you saw her painting, uh, or the, the leather are the ones I love. Um, uh, I don't have it on now, but I've had, uh, there was a guy selling stuff and, I just bought a couple of things, uh, a little holster. I figured I'd find something to, to fit in it and it actually fit my Leatherman perfect. Um, leather cell phone cases, leather belts. I've got a couple of good leather belts. I just enjoy sort of just walking around uh, and just seeing some stuff that I need or don't need. And uh, But my goal tomorrow is to get some, uh, some little Honduran V60s and to get at least four coffee cups. So that's, uh, that's my, my goal for tomorrow. Pedro's gonna come tomorrow and he'll guard uh, while I'm gone. And so I'm gonna have him, I'm dumping out all the little buckets of screws and nails and stuff like that that we have. And so uh, he'll be doing that. And then Pedro and I are gonna do an interview. Oh, and I see Becca just jumped on. I was asking her husband today as she spoke Spanish. Because what I'd like to do is maybe get her to interview Anna or somebody. Because I'm not sure, Becca, uh, did you guys buy any of Anna's coffee? Um, Anna had uh, some extra coffee this year and we're putting it, we're going to put that online. I don't know. It may not even be online yet. I'll have to, I'll have to look. Becca says she has leather coasters. I didn't even think about that. Anna made me some coasters uh, out of burlap. And so she's got a, so we got a sewing machine here that when she's bored, doesn't have anything to do. She uses it. Uh, now that I think about it, Becca, I, I don't think Anna's coffee's zone yet. I'll uh, I'll make sure that you guys get some of that. I think I messed up y'all's order the other day and we shorted you. I can say y'all, I, because I'm in Honduras, I know I didn't do it. So uh, we shorted you guys a pound of something. And uh, Anna and I just did a cupping yesterday and I, I'm going to try, I've got to dig out the bag, but there's a lot 37 uh, tea that was just really great. And so I'm going to bring a a pound or two of that home with me. And so I'm going to send Becca, I'm going to send you some tea and I think I shorted you some Eka too. And I'm going to send you some of Anna's coffee. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, female roasters that might want to pair up with Anna and start doing some of her coffee. And so uh, I'll send you some, uh, I've got some samples of Anna's coffee and I'll send that. But Anna made me some burlap uh, coasters uh, she made me one bigger one for my coffee pot because I do the coffee out in the cupping lab. I do it on the gas stove. So when I take it off the burner, I set it on the tile like there's, we tiled around the sink. All, it's like all this tile you see behind me. And so Anna made me one that was just the size of my uh, water pots or my water kettles. And then she made me a couple of them for my coffee cup. And then, but when it spills, it just went right through the burlap. So then she put two pieces together with some cloth in between it. And so now when I spill my coffee, it absorbs it. Oh, Marciessa, Marciessa. I made a note of it and I asked your husband if it was okay. I'll send you the stuff when I get in Tuesday. I'll get it in the mail on Tuesday and I'll get you some of that tea also. And anybody that orders next time you order green, remind me and I'll throw some of that tea in. It was just a really nice lot of coffee. Um, It didn't make it. uh, We only sent 10 bags of coffee to the States this year. So it didn't make it uh, with the other coffee. So I'm gonna bring some of that. But I'm gonna do uh, an interview with Pedro tomorrow. So if anybody's got any questions that, that we could ask Pedro. Pedro's been working for me for about four years. And a couple years ago, we found out that he had some land that had coffee on it. So I uh, we have helped him over the last four years get some uh, better varieties of coffee. And we've given him our extra plants. So now he actually had some in production. Uh, Bill, I don't know if Bill's on here. Uh, There's quite a few people watching tonight. Bill bought all of San Diego and all of Melvin's coffee. Santiago is Pedro's brother. He's uh, also, the, he works on the farm every day and then he guards during the night. So he's a super great guy, but we're gonna buy some of his coffee and bring it in this year. So I'm gonna do a, a job with, uh, or a uh, interview with Pedro tomorrow, and then I'm gonna see if I can't get the translator to translate it into subtitles in English. The interview will be, I'll do my side in uh, Spanish and in English but I would rather the translator translate his words exactly. So it doesn't look like me saying, you know, how do you like working in my farm? And then, oh, I love working in your farm. So it won't be something like that, hopefully. Uh, And then Monday morning, I'm gonna interview Anna. So if anybody has got any questions for Anna, Anna is what I I laughingly call her my forced manager. Anna came to work here and I'll, I'll do the story in more detail. Anna was working in the farm, hauling plants down the hill and actually planting plants. Uh, And I just noticed something about her. And then when we started selecting, her sister was running the selecting lab. And she butted heads with me all the time. And so uh, Sonia took off work one day and Anna was running the table. And and Anna did exactly what I asked her to do every time. Um, And so the moral of the story And I love Sonia, but don't bring your sister to work with you. If she's smarter than you are more agreeable than you are just the moral of the story. Cause now Sonia works here part-time and Anna runs the farm. So there you go. And when I tried to get Anna to take the job of running the, the lab, she says, no, I can't, I only have a fifth grade education and I can't do more than what I'm doing now. And so that just made me angry. Um, And so I, uh, when girls would come and ask me a question, I would say, I I don't have any idea. You're going to have to ask Anna. And then I noticed that naturally the younger girls were coming to Anna. She was probably in her mid thirties. Uh, she still is in her mid thirties. And, uh, she just has sort of a motherly quality about her. And so I just, uh, I just started sending people to her and said, she knows. And then I would eventually say, well, Anna's in charge and ask Anna and, and then I bought her a shirt that said her name. It was like a nice monogram shirt. It said Hefa, Hefa Anna, uh, and it's Anna Pina. Uh, that's her name. And so she wouldn't wear it for months. And so now, you know, now she's accepted all that. So now she does payroll, she keeps the books. Uh, she's an incredible talent. And, and I told her last year, we sort of had a headbutting last year of a couple other guys. I fired the farm boss. And a couple of the other guys were going to quit because they were scared to take his position. Uh, and so Anna said, she started crying. They were both going to quit. Uh, Sandia, uh, Santos is my longest employee. He was going to quit. And Bahidio was going with him because Bahidio is scared of the of having the title of boss or something. And Anna's like started just breaking into tears. She's like, y'all are going to leave me here by myself because I'm not leaving. And she started crying and then, and I'd already been on the phone. Eli was mediating between me and Julia and I, my flight was the next day. And so I told, uh, Eli, get mama on the phone and tell her to get us tickets for next week. I said, everybody just quit. Tell her that, tell her to get on it. And so Eli comes in and said, mommy may extend our tickets five days. And so, uh, but literally if they quit, I mean, they have keys to everything. Who do I? I can't hire somebody that can run the farm in you know six or eight hours. So Anna agreed to stay. They agreed to stay till the end of the week, and then I pulled out the big guns. and uh, And I'm not trying to pat my pat myself on the back, but I've done a lot for some of these guys. And I and I just looked at Bahidio in the eye and I said, I understand why you would quit because Juan Carlos Juan Carlos got fired. And I said, I'm sure you're loyal to him because. When your house caught on fire, he went over there and brought materials and helped you. It was just his kitchen, not his whole house. Uh, you know, it helped you get everything going again. And when you wanted to start a barbershop, he helped you start a barbershop. And about that time, his head dropped to the floor. And I said, and you know, he helped you build new bathroom, shower, and you know, corn grinder. And I started naming off the stuff that that our farm had done for him. And uh, he just turned his, he just turned his back to me. He couldn't look at me. And then when I looked at Santos, who has been here uh, coming on nine years and I said, and I understand why you'd be loyal to him. And he just said, we're going to, we're going to stay. And he, he didn't want me to start going through the list. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but the idea that they would leave because he left just made me angry. And, uh, and then the next day when Bahidio came in, he said, my wife told me that I need to apologize for you for trying to quit yesterday. <laughs> and I said, you don't need to apologize to me. But, uh, apparently when he got home, his wife got onto him pretty hard because he was going to quit, you know? And, uh, but things get emotional sometimes. Uh, and they are very shy, quiet, you know, people. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was in panic mode. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and I told Anna, I said, if you ever decide to leave, if you ever decide to take another job, bring me an application cause I'm going to go with you because if you leave the farm, there's no way that things are going to run, you know, uh, and next year her daughter's having trouble with school. And so I, uh, she's going to start taking off two days a week and she's found a replacement for those two days, but she'll still do payroll and keep up all the books. And it'll give her a little more time with her family. And that's what she chose to do last year. Instead of getting a money raise, I offered to give her an hour or less every day with the same pay. And then uh, that was two years ago. And then last year, she she got the same pay, but one day off a week. So she randomly picks a day and takes a day off every week with pay. And so that was for her. That was a pretty big pay raise. And then. This year, she sent almost 16 bags of coffee to the states. In years past, it's been between six and eight bags. So this year, I don't know what her profit will be because she can raise coffee cheaper than I can. But she's got six, almost 16 bags of coffee, which y'all can do the math. That's two thousand three hundred pounds, roughly, of coffee that she's going to be selling for. Whatever Becca and other people are willing to pay for it, uh, that's going to be a lot of money. Uh, and so she had some coffee that cupped 87 this year. And so that stuff, uh, I think it brought over $7 for that, that small lot of coffee that she had. So she's going to have a lot of money this year. And since she's come to work for us, you know, she's been able to buy, a, she was 30 something years old and never had a stove, never had a refrigerator. And again, I'm not patting myself on the back. Ben and Brian from Saturday Morning Coffee bought her coffee for a couple of years and paid, a paid I think, over $5 and they paid the shipping for her coffee. That was a huge thing. And them doing that, and it was easy for me to ship her coffee with my container There's no sweat off my back to do that. Uh, That was an incredible thing for her. And she was able to, they concreted the house, which they live in an Adobe house, but they put concrete on the outside and the inside. And now it looks just like a concrete block house. And they put doors on it. And she's got microwave and a blender and refrigerator and a clothes washer, you know, Whirlpool clothes washer uh, or washing machine, I guess what you call it huge, you know, things in her life. Uh, And so those things were from, you know, Ben and Brian bought her coffee. And so now we're finding other people that are willing to buy her coffee. And so if I die tomorrow, then there's buyers that will keep. She knows how to do the export process. Uh, She's uh, legally, she'll be able to use my name uh, to export her coffee. and, And, you know, and so Julia will help her export her coffee. So, just those things come from you guys that buy coffee, you know. Uh, And there's very few really true direct trade things, and you know, and this is able to put somebody uh, like Ben and Brian directly with Anna Uh, Santos, who's my farm boss, third day Seguin in Seguin, Texas, Jose. Aguilar, I think I always mispronounce your name, buddy. I'm sorry. Uh, he buys all of Santos's coffee. Ben and Brian flew up here to meet Anna. Anna's arm got broken. Uh, ben and Brian sent money. Uh, Jenny's Java sent money to help get the pins put in her arm and things like that. Uh, Jose and his wife, Connie, flew up here to Honduras to meet uh, Santos. Uh, They planted coffee in his farm, paid for the coffee, paid for the fertilizer. I think one other year he paid for the fertilizer. Um, So it's massive changes in, uh, you know, in these people's lives. Uh, Last year, for those of you that go to church, Santos doesn't grace the door of a church. Uh, But he took part of his money last year and built a 20 by 20 little pavilion out in front of his house. Uh, so that his wife could hold church services there. Then last year he got baptized and now uh, he's switching jobs with guys so that somebody always has to work Sunday, uh, It be it me or be it. You can't just let the coffee rot on the ground. And biblically, I think that it's okay for us to be out there and move the coffee the least amount possible on Sundays. And, uh, it, but we can't let the coffee rot. You, know, you just can't do that. And so Santos trades jobs with some of the other guys so that he can go to church. The Catholics go to church uh, uh, in the afternoon and Saturdays. Uh, and so they swap up with the Christians that go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. So they all swap up in, in their schedules and make it work. But now Santos is doing that. Uh, Santos asked me for a large print Bible because he's got a prosthetic eye on one side and he's like negative 1500 on the other side. So, I mean, he literally puts a book up to his face when he signs for his pay every week. Um, So he's got very, very poor sight, but asked me for a large print Bible. So uh, we're going to get on Amazon and try to find uh, I'd love to find a full testament for him but I'm definitely gonna find a, uh, uh, a New Testament Bible for them. And so that's, uh, that's something I'll bring back. I've got to come back in a couple of weeks uh, and do some, uh, do some things to get the farm ready for, uh, for picking, uh, which will be the first week. The major picking will be the first week in January. The, the, the picking that starts on Monday, will be, uh, we'll, we'll take it to the mill and sell it. And then the 15th of December, we'll pick again and that just goes straight to the meal. We don't we don't price any of that. We uh, we will save the Mar- Marciessa, uh, Ica too, and things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what version I'm going to get. My Bible is King James because that's what I grew up reading, but uh, I'm not sure which one I'll get. I might ask some Spanish preachers here what they recommend. But yeah, I'll be, I'm going to be looking for that on Amazon. Uh, And again, if anybody wants to donate, tax deductible, but uh, just kidding. I I told him I'd get him one. It won't cost very much, but uh, no, just trying to put people together. Uh, There was a, I think it's a Chinese proverb or whatever you call them. It says you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. That was one of the things that I didn't like so much about doing mission trips. The one week mission trips we used to do is the first thing we would do. And there was this one place we went to uh, and we would just have I would make a big, giant 20 foot circle with 100 pound bags of rice, beans, corn and all these different things, spaghetti, uh, lard, all these different things. And then we would get in the middle. And so everybody would start putting their, their little portion in there. And then people would be bagging it up in the middle. And we would give somebody a week's worth of food, a family, a week's worth of food. And then we leave. And, um, I didn't like, I like, I mean, of course that's helping them for a week. They'll eat big and then we're gone. And so my thing was, let's try to plant them fruit trees while we're there. Let's plant and let's give them seed you know, let's do something like that. That's a little more, you know, long-term. And so with that saying, give a man to fish, teach a man to fish. That's great too. But if you don't give them a fishing rod and tackle, and maybe even go as far as helping him buy a fishing license, then where is he really? And so, uh, let's teach somebody that doesn't own an, uh, a laptop or doesn't have Wi-Fi access. Let's teach them how to code, you know, um, it's not going to do him any good. So, we started this barbershop. I talked to Bahidio one day and I said, what do you want to do? You know, when you, you're making some more money, what do you want to do? He said, I'm going to save my money up and start a barbershop. And I'm like, man, you are 50 feet away from having a bar- barbershop. So I ran in the house and grabbed my wall clippers and uh, stole combs and some the scissors and all that went with it and took it out there and like, here you go, man. And uh, and Jonathan and I had already gone to his house and wired it. Yeah, there's five generations were living in his house when we first met him. One I moved out, one I died, uh, but uh, they'd never had electricity in the house. So Jonathan and I went, it took us a day and a half, wired the whole house. And so when we set him up the little barbershop thing, we went back again, put some extra plug-ins, went to the store, bought a three foot by three foot mirror, uh, just little things, you know. But not only, uh, he taught himself how to fish, so to speak. Um, and we got him the equipment to fish with. So that, uh, and then eventually, some of you guys bought him more clippers and more scissors and the women's sewing thing. They made him an apron and all. And then we got him a, a tire filled with concrete with a two inch pipe in it, put a one inch pipe and in, an inch and a half pipe in that bad boy and welded it to a Toyota car seat. So now he's got a chair that'll spin around. Uh, Just, you know, just little things, little things, little things. And so now he makes as much money on Sunday as he makes the rest of the week working for me, just cutting hair. And so uh, somebody came in one day uh, to the shop and said, you know, how can I help? And I'm like, Bahidio needs a bathroom and a shower. And so the guy wrote me a check for fifteen hundred dollars, and I'm like, well, that's not you know that's a lot more than what we need. He said, well, you do something with it, you know. And so we built three concrete block compartments. One of them's the bathroom, one of them's the shower. The other one's a little bit bigger. And we went and bought a corn grinder. So now he's got a corn grinding business, got a new shower, new bathroom, barber shop. Uh, help him plan his farm. He actually, with the profits from that, bought another farm on his own without using our farm bank. Gave them plants for it. So this guy will have more money than me one day. And so just helping people help themselves is something I like. It's the entrepreneurial side of it, to help them help themselves. So we put a store in Santos's house so his wife can run the store. Uh, we're just doing things where they can help themselves. And, and that's, that's one of the things I love more about what we're doing here. And that's what gets me through the days like yesterday was a bad day. <laughs> I want to throw everybody off the hill yesterday. Uh, and so, uh, that's what gets you through the day on bad days like that. Uh, man, there are so many questions coming in. I can't answer all of them, but you guys keep sending me and I'll answer as many as I can. And then I'll try to answer the ones offline when I'm done. Uh, but yeah, man, that's what, that's what, for me, that's what does it, you know? Um, uh, I, I'm not big on book reading. Uh, but I bought a book that's called um, When Helping Hurts, and I started reading that. Uh, there's another one that I need to find that the first three chapters I read were exactly my life. Uh, it was just what you do and why, why it's wrong, and and I'd done all those things. I, I was interviewed a couple of months ago, and somebody said, what was the, one of the hardest lessons that you learned in Honduras. And I said that I was stupid. I came in with all these bright ideas that worked really great in the States and all these tried and true methods that I'd, I'd done it wrong five times. I finally learned how to do it right. And so I thought, well, I'm going to come here and teach them, teach them how to do stuff. When they've had generations and generations of coffee farming and, and they are, even though a lot of my ideas were better, We're more cost efficient, uh, less labor intensive. I couldn't come in just because I hold the paycheck. I couldn't come in and make them do it because from their life, what they've learned is every farm is going to pay the same because these farm owners have meetings. I got in trouble one time with my co-op because they said, you're paying too much. You need to back it down. And so when, when, uh, um, I can't even think of what the plague was that came through here. Uh, La Roya. La Roya hit and just wiped out a bunch of crops. My co-op from people that I called my friends had a meeting and said, we're going to drop the daily pay rate because we're losing money. We're going to have to replant all these farms. It's going to take three years for them to get back into production, four years to be 100% production. So we need to cut the pay for the next four years they all did that holding their heads high because they weren't willing to change their life. But with 25 farmers, and these were big farmers, many of them way bigger than me. And I'm a pretty good sized farmer. Uh, 50 acres of coffee is a, is a lot of, a lot of coffee, but they're all doing that. That affected literally thousands of workers and they were going to knock 10% off the daily pay for the next three to four years and without batting an eye, they all agreed on it. Uh, I went ahead and, uh, and just, uh, raised my hand and then the next day filled out my paperwork and left the group. But, uh, because I didn't want to, I didn't want any turmoil that night. Uh, cause there's a lot of drinking going on in that meeting too. But anyway, uh, so I just like, you know, this is not for us. We need to be our own on our own. Uh, uh, there was another, and then we moved to another group or two. I think we've been we've been in three co-ops and just decided that's not the place for us. But uh, from corrupt organics to the men in the group uh, deeded part of their farms to their wives so that they could get into women-owned co-ops, uh, women-only farmers, uh, women farms in the United States pay you know a good bit more than men's farms. Uh, to the organic, the, the all the mess that, with organic, not being really organic. And it just we, just a lot of things we saw we didn't like. And so we're able to control some of those things. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, we've got a farm bank. So uh, Monday, we actually have some extra fertilizer left over. Uh, and so Monday, we're gonna dole that up and give it away to some of the farmers. Uh, I had somebody donate some money and I am sorry, if you're watching, I'm sorry, I can't remember who you were, that's wanting to donate some money to Pedro. So the amount of money he donated is going to buy Pedro three bags of fertilizer. I think it was $150. bucks. Uh, i am not sure, that, that doesn't sound right. But uh, it'll. it's going to buy Pedro three bags of fertilizer, which will fertilize his small farm, you know, one time. So, uh, but we've got to get fertilizer to Santos, Bahidio, San Santiago, Melvin. Uh, you know, quite a few guys. We'll we'll dole it up, and I'll divide. I'll do the math on what size their farm is, and they'll get proportionate. They'll. I think there's eighteen or nineteen bags of fertilizer in there, so we'll give that away. But that's just a little shot in the arm for those guys. And they're fixing to come to a season where I'm going to work them to death. A lot of the guys are going to pick all day. And then when they're done picking, then they'll come up to the top of the hill. They'll help with the weigh-in. They'll help load the truck to go out to the drying field. And then while I'm going to the drying field, they'll start helping Jonathan crank up and de in the coffee from the day before. Then uh, Eli's job is to make Lipton cup of soup. So we'll start boiling water like crazy. He'll start doing a cup of soup and all the guys will get two Lipton cup of soups, all the Pepsi they can drink, coffee uh, twice during the, as soon as they get done, they'll have a late lunch and then they'll have a supper. Um, And it'll all be Lipton cup of soup because that's about all I know how to make. Uh, And they love it because that's sort of a a delicacy here. It's a little more expensive. But somebody said they appreciate what I'm doing it's not just me. If you guys won't buy my coffee, then I can't do it. So it's as simple as that. Uh, the one thing that you guys can help that's fairly easy is do some positive Google reviews for us. Um, uh, and sort of recommend anybody, you know, in the coffee business, recommend that they watch some of these programs and stuff so that, uh, so that we can grow and get bigger. Um, we need to sell more of our coffee roasted. So, um, uh, Next year, we'll quit taking new customers. Uh, we've planted a lot of coffee, so our production will be up. Hopefully, you know, God willing, uh, will be up. And so uh, I've got one customer that's a fairly bigger customer that, that uh, we may or may not sell to next year. But the profit is in selling roasted coffee, as you roasters know, as you up and coming guys now that are in the farmers markets that are one day gonna be in the regular market. Uh, So I've got to get the farm to where I'm selling more of my coffee roasted. So that means we're gonna quit taking green coffee uh, uh, people next year so that we can focus on each one of you guys, I'm hoping you grow. And so as you grow, we can still fill your orders. So we'll quit taking green coffee customers next year. And then everybody that's buying from us this year will be our permanent customers from here on out, uh, and so when you get need more coffee, we'll have it available for you. Uh, Beck had a question, and that's on my list to address tonight. I've uh, in the past we've had some confusions on the bags before pre-export. And it was because I tried to put things like washed and honey and those things on the bag. And so what, what we should be doing is doing both of them. And so from now on, we'll do both, Spanish and English. But doing it in Spanish helps my workers. And so they've learned my codes that we use in Spanish. So uh, Becca bought some M4M uh, from us. And the, the first letter is the coffee itself. The second letter is the lot. So the higher the number, the later the coffee was picked. So it's the, uh, and the M stands for mulatto, which is honey. We only do red honey process. Uh, there's a lot of distorted descriptions of honey, uh, semi-washed and white hun- or yellow honey are the exact same thing. They market it because people like honey right now, honey is really popular. So they quit calling it semi washed. and they call it yellow honey. Red honey and black honey are two different, distinctively different processes. Black honey is the is between red honey and full natural, or natural. And so, on my lots, we'll start doing a better job of descriptions. But uh, Becca's asking a specific question: what's the what's the difference between like we have a, a yellow Katoe, we have a yellow bourbon, we have a little bit of red bourbon. We have red Ica too. Other people have yellow Ica too. I've never seen any yellow Ica too, but it's literally the color of the cherry. And so most cherries are red, but we have a variety that's yellow katoe, So it comes in a red or a yellow. Bourbon comes in pink, red, orange, and yellow. So Bourbon has four different color, colors for some of its eight or nine different varieties that that it has. Uh, Bourbon is actually pronounced bourbon, but we don't pronounce it bourbon because people can get it confused with the whiskey age. So more specifically, Becca's question is, um, I didn't label my product well enough and and it's not just Becca saying that other people have gotten confused with it. M4M means Marciessa, lot four, which is the fourth picking of that Marciessa and M stands for Milado, which is honey and all of our coffee is red honey. So what Becca has is Marciessa, the fourth picking red honey. So this, we're going to, when I get back, I'll start relabeling a lot of the coffee because, uh, I'm not sure where it is, but we started putting a little more description on the label for the people that are buying the roasted and there are people that are buying the green. So I'll make sure that I break down those and quit using codes so that it's a little bit a little bit easier because it is confusing. If I I used to call it Red Ica 2, and I'm not sure why we even started doing that um, because Ica 2 is the variety. It doesn't really matter if it's red or yellow. Uh, on the Bourbon side, it does, because typically the yellow Bourbon cups higher than the red. But I don't know that that's the same in every coffee. But uh, yeah, I need to, uh, the lot M2N that was very popular was Essa, the second picking. Uh, the N stood for natural. So I'll, uh, we're going to start relabeling everything when I get back. And if I have some time tonight, I might start on it. But starting Tuesday, we're going to print new labels for everything. And it'll have uh, it'll still have the lot number like M4M so that, you know, there is an M2M and an M3M. Uh, And so to keep that confusion down, because each one of those lots has different. A lot of times have different cupping scores, different flavor profiles. So we're going to put more description on the labels uh, and include the exact cupping score, the exact flavor profiles and let you know exactly what you're getting. Uh, And for you roasted customers that are watching, it'll help you because my lots will change from uh, the flavor profiles. So if you're buying my Don Ashley, which is the Marciessa. So you'll buy Don Ashley and it'll have the lot number. So if you buy one in uh, today and you buy one in January, it may have a little bit different flavor profile. And it because I'll run out of lot three and we'll start moving into lot four. So, yeah, that'll definitely help us all with uh, a little less confusion. And this year we've got a different printer. Uh, the bags of coffee were printed differently for you guys that are buying some pallets. Uh, it'll make a big difference on, on that also. Yeah. The, the red Ica too. I'm not sure why I did that, but if it's red Ica too and red honey on the same label, but yeah, red Ica too is the variety that I have. Ica too is the variety. The red is just saying that it's a red cherry instead of the yellow cherry. Uh, something I've tried to get from years, but for years and I can't get a farmer to sell it is the pink bourbon and the orange bourbon. I really would like to have those so much so that I've got a trip planned to, uh, El Salvador next year. Uh, I know a couple farms down there that produce it, and so I'm going to try to try to get that done next year. Oh, and, and Becca, I'm still learning too. It's uh, it's something all the time. Uh, and there was somebody asked me a question, uh, and I forgot what it was. But even the like pea berry, uh, we're gonna we're gonna plant some pea berry this year. We're going to plant just the uh, pea berry is when one bean dies because normally there's two beans in a pod. When one bean dies, the other bean uh, grows round because normally they're flat and it's because they're pushing against each other. When that one bean dies, the other one grows round. And so it's uh, they call them redondos here, which means round uh, or they call them. Uh, uh, car- caracoles. Uh, that's the description for pea berries. But in the States, we call them pea berry. It's a more dense bean. It's a little more flavor packed. Generally, it cups about a half a point higher. But we're going to do some testing this year. I did it about five years ago and somebody moved the plants and screwed up the whole test. But there's actually a triplet. So a bean grows, three of them grow in there. And so they're little triangles. So I did a test about five years ago And I had a a growing area and I broke it into three parts. So I planted 50 plants with the triplet seeds, 50 plants with normal and 50 with the pea berry. And I wanted to see in three years when they started producing fruit, if the plant that had a triplet bean would uh, grow more triplets than the other. And it didn't work out because one day I came in and this guy decided he was going to clean that nursery out. So he took all the plants out and put them in a pile. And then when he was done, he moved them back. But he didn't separate them when he moved them out of the pile. And so <laughs> you never know. Hey, I'm going to step away from the camera for about 30 seconds. My, uh, my security alarm's going off for the back door. And let me, let me set that real quick. have a a motion sensor on my swan thing and for whatever reason it was saying that it was setting off on the back porch back there oh dustin's asking uh what are the flavor differences i don't know but uh a couple of these hey barry um uh a couple of shows ago, we went over uh, specifically the Marciessa, and I don't have my cupping scores with me here in Honduras, but we compared lot M2M, lot M3M, lot M4M. I only have one lot, and all my lots have barbed wire fences around them so that nobody accidentally goes in and picks it on the wrong at the wrong time. So those are all from the exact same farm or from the same lot. And so all that means is that was a second picking the third picking and the fourth picking all those coffees cupped exactly 86. So there were three lots picked at three different times dried on the same patio. Weather conditions were slightly different, but they all cupped an 86, but they all had completely different flavor profiles. So, um, To answer Dustin's question, what are the flavor differences in the pink and orange bourbon? I don't know. I've never had it, but I do know that orange bourbon and pink bourbons have a history of good cupping scores, and I think it's something very rare, and I'd like to have it, and I would love to have the orange bourbon uh, in a cherry tea. Uh, but I'd also like to just clear a lot of, I've got some planning I need to do next year. I'd love to have some of the bourbon to go in the farm. I've got the yellow bourbon now, and, uh, I'd like to compare that with the orange, you know, and just see, but I I don't think that there's ever going to be a distinctive flavor profile for one bourbon or like for the pink. Uh, I don't think it's never going to have the same flavor profiles. Uh, Barry made a comment. He loves the bourbon, uh, or likes it. No, he said, love me some bourbon. Um, I have three lots of bourbon this year and, uh, I'll I'll sort of look and see what the flavor difference is, is on those. But one year it was lemonade and strawberry. One year it was cocoa and blueberry. I don't understand how they get such different flavors. Um, but I do test my cuppers. And I'll put the same lot in with two different numbers on it. And I have never had him give me anything different. So we, we've taken numerous times, we've taken the same lot. We take two pounds of coffee, split it in half and name one, one thing and name one, the other and send it in. And he gives me the exact same score and exact same flavor profiles on it every time. And so I, I don't understand how there's different you know, cause to be complete, how there's different flavor profiles on the same coffee from the same lot. And uh, yes, there is a difference in the climate. So that has to make a difference in it. Uh, there's a, there's no more than one point different in any of the sugars on the M2 M3 M4 lots that we tested. There's only one point different in the sugar content the day we picked it. Uh, but the main difference is the, a little bit of weather is the only difference. And, the, and so the weather has a, a, a huge th- uh, difference in there. Uh, thanks, Bob. Bob's going to recommend this to a couple people that are starting to roast. Um, now, Justin, do you roast or do you buy roasted from us? The co- uh, Richard, the cocoa and the blueberry was just a crazy good coffee. Um, that there's one lot that we have this year. It is a lot of Perinema, and I haven't put it online yet. I may have sent some to Becca though, I don't know. It's a P3M, if I sent you some of that. Uh, I forgot what the, the flavor profiles were on it, but it was like an 88 point something coffee uh, and had just crazy good cup and, score and uh and had really unique flavor profiles. Uh, But when I get back, we're almost out of a couple of coffees. So we're going to start putting a a different coffee in. I think Julia just listed last week an Eka 2 natural that uh, I'll roast some. Uh, No, Becca, it wasn't the caramel and citrus. Uh, This one is going to be, it's going to be something, you'll know it when you see it. If you'll please PM me, Becca. Bef- uh, on Tuesday or Monday so that I have it on my, um, however we usually message each other. And I'll, I'll pull that lot out and make sure you get some of the P3M coffee, which is Perinema Lot 3 Red Honey Process on, uh, on this order that I'm sending you on Tuesday. Because those are, uh, those are really unique coffees. Uh, we had one that had Dulce de Leche. We had uh, a couple different types of pineapple in the. I mean, grapefruit in some of the cuppings. Uh, pa- one of them had passion fruit in it. Passion fruit may be the P3M. I'm not sure, but uh, this year, berry on the Bourbon, uh, it only cupped an 85 this year. I may have 186, but it was really low cupping score compared to the 88s, 89s that it's been in the past. So again, not sure how it happened uh, because the Bourbon, which would be B3L, L is lavado, which is washed, was picked the same time the, the P3 was and the M3 was, and those had really high cupping in scores. So it was dried in the same weather conditions. It was dried on the same patios most likely. And so, And definitely, you know, the same weather, which we attributed to the good cupping scores, the other, this one had a bad cupping score or 84 is definitely not bad. You know, that's a great specialty grade coffee, but it's not an 88. It's not an 89, which that coffee has produced in the past. Uh, I do know that the Bourbon doesn't do as well when it's honey processed. And we had somebody out there that misread the card last year and processed one of our bigger lots of the Bourbon honey process. And and once they start doing it, we're committed. I I wouldn't go back and wash that coffee after it had been sitting there fermented, but I probably should try that sometime. But there are so many ways to ferment it, so many ways to do this stuff. We've tried anaerobic fermentation, which I have a lot that I was holding for myself, which is anaerobic ferment fermented. Uh, I think it's a washed that I'll crack open. It's experimental lot four from last year. Uh, if you guys, when you order some green, remind me, and I'll throw you in whatever size sample size you need or a pound, whatever you want. I'll throw some of that in for y'all to try, but it's uh Kerry Sanders bought all I had last year. Huh? And there was accidentally one lot that, uh, was buried somewhere. And then I pulled it out the other day and it it said, uh, experimental four. And that's, that's what my attempt at, uh, anaerobic fermentation. Um, and we can, we can go more into that next week when we, uh, we'll do another podcast. I'll probably do one Sunday night, which is tomorrow night. So I might try to research it a little bit and, and explain some of the different ways that we ferment the coffee but our main, uh, it, it, the fermenting all depends on whether it's natural honey or washed, you know, how we ferment it. Sometimes we ferment it before we pulp it, which is when we take the cherry off from the seed. Sometimes we ferment it afterwards. The natural, obviously nothing gets done to it. So we, we, there's a, we have a different process of fermenting it. Uh, It's just crazy what all you can do with coffee. I mean, we've tortured this stuff sometimes to the point where we've ruined it, uh, to the point where the anaerobic fermentation, we've done a few experimental lots. Uh, we've never had the cupping scores go up, but what we have had is we only, we've only done it so far on the Limpira. We've only done it on the washed and the honey. And those are two predictable coffees my canal washed is going to be caramel hint. I mean, it's going to be chocolate base hints of caramel with a nutty finish. Bang, bang, bang. It's a pretty predictable. The scores will go between 83 and 86.5. It's, it's that way every year, all the time. So when I started doing the anaerobic fermentation, fermenting or, or whatever you call it, um, uh, we started testing with those two coffees. And so what I did was I, I picked a lot of coffee, they brought it down to me. We did it in the smaller machines that are more hand fed and hand done. And so I split the coffee and I sent one lot, I, I pulped it, washed it, and sent it out to the patio like we always do. And then the other half of the lot, I did all that to it, but then I put it in the barrel and locked it down and then the anaerobic fermentation on that. And when the two lots were dry, we had them cupped and they were the exact same score. Both of them were 84. One of the lots, both of them were 83. Uh, but they had completely different, uh, flavor profiles. And I can't remember what the flavor profile was, but it was completely off the charts from what washed limpira normally is. It wasn't chocolate. It wasn't caramel. So there's definitely something to be said for it. This year, uh, we may not be able to do it in 2024, but I've got a, a thousand gallon tank that we'd never use. And so we've, we've concreted in the drainage holes and put some piping in it. Uh, we're going to put some kind of compression lid on it because you have to force all of the oxygen out of the tank. And then we, uh, we're trying to find some giant, uh, uh, air trap water valves so that we can do the anaerobic fermentation on a larger scale. And so we're going to try to fix a tank where I can do one massive thousand pound lot of coffee uh, and just see what happens on a bigger lot and, you know, hope we don't kill it. Okay. Yeah, there might not be, uh, I sure thought there was a P4M though on the site, but uh, Julia might have run out and pulled it. Um, But yeah, I'll make sure I'll make sure I'll get you all some something different. The limpira is just your go-to coffee. Um, somebody's saying that it's popular. Uh, it's it's popular every uh, everywhere, and that's why our, the lots that we have now, we're not really planting any different varieties because I sort of have to sustain that that amount of limpira, um, because it's just really popular. Now this year, the twenty twenty four crop, we're going to have a coffee called Anna Cafe fourteen uh, we'll have a very, very small lot, maybe like a hundred pounds. Uh, we planted 500 plants a couple of years ago on my son's farm, which is Finca Juancito. Uh, and so it's in production this year. I went and checked on it Friday or Thursday or Friday, and, uh, the plants are looking good. They got pretty good production. So I think we'll have a, a fair amount of that. We've never tried it before. I think I have three or four pounds of it. That's all we picked this year uh, in the shop in Kansas. So I'll try to find it and uh, and roast it and start figuring out what the flavor profiles are. But we had so little of it, I didn't send it off to have it cupped. Uh, that was a mistake. I should have. But we'll uh, we'll have maybe one hundred pounds green of it next year. So once we see those cupping scores, then we'll make the call whether to plant. You know. A, Two thousand plants next year but it's a it's a unique coffee and it's supposed to do well in the cup it's supposed to have a pretty good production and it's supposed to be a level production where your catwees your bourbons they're up one year last year i had like 90 pounds of bourbon this year i have 500 and it's a pretty small lot but that's a big difference um so we try to uh we try not to just keep bringing something new all the time but the ana cafe 14 Looked like a really nice, unique coffee. And my son, Jonathan, has taken over the Finca Juancito farm, which is in the next low community over from us, about five miles from here. And so about four years ago, three years ago, he decided to cut down all the plants and plant just perinema. And then I talked him into planting the test lot of Ana Cafe 14. And so that's what we're going to do. And it's Spanish. It's Ana, A-N-A, and then Cafe, C-A-F-E. Uh, and then the number 14, cause it is a, you know, a, a genetically created, whatever, a coffee. Um, uh, it's not a modified coffee. It's just where they, it's a hybrid. Somebody came up with two coffees and put them together and made Anna Cafe 14. So, uh, I'm hoping I, I get to try it here the next week or so. A lot of the bags we have, have a lot of pizza bags in them. And so I haven't dug through all the bags yet, but, uh. Oh, Bob's saying I need a good night's sleep. I've had a good night's sleep since I've been here. The other morning, I slept in till seven. That was, uh, but uh, no, I do my paperwork at night. So I'll go to bed by uh, 11 o'clock tonight. It's uh, just 9.30 now or 9.20. So uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Uh, Other than the weather being horrible, I love it here, you know, and I'm hoping when I hit 65, uh, they're going to bury me here. You know, the, I've already got my place picked out. It's beside Eli's chicken. We buried Eli's chicken. And I'll keep the story short. We used to do a chicken project where we gave families a group of chickens. If uh, we gave them a dozen chickens, if they took care of the dozen in a few months, we'd go back and check. If they took care of them, we'd give them like 30 or 40 chickens, give them a pen, stuff like that, the materials to build a pen. And uh, they'd start a little bu- a home business. Uh, but we always would go get a box of chickens, and literally, they throw these chickens in a cardboard box. They're scooping them and dumping them into a box. And uh, we take them home, and they're all these little yellow chickens. Well, one day I come home and open the box up, and I'd looked at it but didn't pay attention. Eli's over there, and there's a red chicken. And he's like, That one's mine. And I'm like, Okay. And t- you got to take it. Eli moved here the day before he turned four years old. He came, we drug him to Honduras. So, he literally pointed his star and said, is that Kansas one night when we were here? You know, he was a little kid. So when he's five, he's in charge of the chickens and he picked this red chicken out. He'd stick that sucker on his shoulder. He walked around with it in his pocket. When it got bigger, he carried it around with him. He would call it and it would come to him. A couple of times I found it in the house, on his bed. You know, that was his chicken. He loved that chicken. And one day it died. And he came to me just bawling. He said, Daddy, this is the saddest day of my life. Just crying crocodile tears. So I went in the shop and I welded together a cross. Uh, We put, uh, he named it Pumpkin Seed Eli. I don't know why. Uh, And that was his chicken, man. Well, Pumpkin Seed Eli is buried next to the uh, eucalyptus tree. And I went in the farm and and got some flowers and we planted some, you know, uh, some uh, perennials. So there's these beautiful flowers going around pumpkin seed, Eli's grave. And last year when I had the COVID bad, uh, I made out a quickie will and I told the workers, you know, where I wanted to be buried. I said, bury me next to pumpkin seed, Eli. And uh, I said, call Julia after you've got me in the ground, because I sure don't want somebody paying thousands of dollars to ship my butt back to the States and have some expensive funeral. I said, "Uh, bury me here. And uh, that's good enough. But Eli, uh, a little later on, there was another red chicken and he named it Pumpkin Seed Eli 2. (laughs) And so, uh, but he loves those chickens, man. He he loves chickens. and, And I enjoy them. You know they poop everywhere but they're free range and in the mornings if you know they're going to be outside my window and they're going to make the rounds around the house and the office and they're just sort of everywhere and uh i love i love my chickens man it's it's fun to go get the eggs and you know i'm eating the eggs that we laid and we have these crazy colombians now and they lay little bitty eggs but they got the most beautiful feathers you've ever seen uh yeah when it's cold they quit laying on us but um, we have to lock them up during harvest. We keep them pinned up. They, you know, they got a big enough pen, but, uh, so they don't fly, they'll fly over my chicken wire fence and get in there with the coffee. But, uh, no, I love the chickens. I love the, you know, we're in a preserve where, you know, there's no hunting or anything. So we've got a, uh, a, a puma on the farm. We've got boa constrictors don't have any dangerous snakes. The puma's never bothered anybody. I've seen them twice. The workers have seen them numerous times. But uh, I've got deer on the farm, armadillas, anteater. I've never seen them, but there's an anteater out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a fun place. And I love my suspendulos I think in English, the variety would be called Oreos. They're a communal bird that build a giant, big, three-foot-deep sack. And they all lay their eggs in there. And then the moms come and just feed whatever chicken sticks its head out. I mean, whatever bird sticks its head out. But I love watching. We're on a good migration path. The birds come by. Butterflies come by. There's some strange stuff that comes by. I don't know what it is. Once a year, this wave of ants come through. And it is the most eerie thing you've ever seen in your life. And I'll try to dig through some video. But when I say a wave of ant, I mean two feet, three, four, five feet deep, hundreds of feet wide. And when they come through, they go and they'll, they'll kill baby birds. But when they came into my house, it was freakishly, horror story, scary. But they just start piling through the door climbing up the walls, they went up into the attic, but they ate every spider, every bug, every everything. and they just went out the front door, they went into the cupping labs, everywhere and uh, and then they just pass and the workers say they make their way through Honduras once a year and they just eat everything. And uh, beehives, we have these paper, they're little miniature paper wasp and they'll make these giant nests, Ants just go in there and just take the eggs, kill the wasp, just, and that's that's the way it is. So, but uh, it's definitely a, uh, uh, definitely been an experience of lifetime. And there's definitely been struggles and stresses, but uh, as close as you can say, I'm living the dream. If I could just make a little more money, <laughs> sell more coffee roasted, I'd be living the dream. But uh, I got one truck broke down. The Toyota doesn't have enough power to climb the hills. So I don't know what's wrong with it. And the Dodge has got a couple of things popping on it. So it'd be nice to buy a new truck next year or at least a newer truck. Uh, Puma is like, a. I thought it's like a mountain lion. It's, got, it's black, it's got a really long black tail. So I think, I think it's a Puma. It could be something else. We get something also that might be like a termite when the swarming termites come in, Andrew, if you touch them do their wings, fall off. If so, we got those bad boys too. And those, I don't like those. Uh, the other stuff, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Those things bother me because their little wings fall all over you and they stick to everything. Uh, so yeah, that would be the one thing I would spray for. Yeah. Well, that's probably what we got. Uh, I had them come and fumigate the house, uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, I was here by myself. So we moved everything out of the house, opened up some of the eaves on the house and had them come in and just fog the whole thing and try to kill termites, spiders, whatever's up there. Uh, yeah, Becca, the ant story was, the ants were just crazy. Uh, but now it's sort of fun thing. You know, you just stay out of their way and Sometimes you have to run through them because literally if it's as wide as the property, you know, there's no ways you just run through them. They don't seem to bother anybody. When the girls were cupping in there, uh, were selecting in there, the ants started coming in and, uh, you know, they weren't as bad. They made some lines and they, they know to go up to the ceiling and they were just attacking every spider web. Uh, and they, the girls just kept selecting the coffee. It didn't bother them a bit. They, uh, they move their purses, you know, because they keep their lunch in their backpacks and stuff. But didn't bother them. So I would not definitely wasn't going to be the one guy that screamed when he saw them. When all the women are being calm, so I just <laughs> dealt with it. Uh, yeah, those things are aggravating. Uh, I, the bats. I enjoy that. I watch the bats. I'll turn on the security lights. I usually don't turn on the security lights when I'm here because they're like big. 300 watt LED mega lights. Uh, but I'll turn the lights on on the back uh, just so that the, it starts attracting the bugs. I unscrewed the back porch light and the two corner house lights, I'll leave them on. And just the bugs will start swarming around it in the summertime and the bats just come through and they'll come through the porch. And I enjoy watching all the all the nature stuff, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the difference is in a fruit bat, a regular blood sucking vampire bat, or even if there's such a thing. Uh, I'm not sure what the difference would be. I've never seen them in the daytime. I've never found where they live or anything. Uh, the boys say there's a cave out there, but I think it's just a couple of rocks that split open. Uh, I, I won't let them go in there. So I don't know how far it goes in, but I, uh, I don't know where the bats would stay, you know, but we got squirrels, rabbits, things like that, that everybody else has. But it's a different country, different world. Uh, So, but we got a lot of the same things. Our rabbits look like regular rabbits, uh, but the pumas and the boas don't bother the chickens. That was the main thing I was worried about. Uh, the puma walked right in front of the chicken coop the other day, the door was open. Uh, we're really not, have never missed any chickens. Um, you know, we've had a dog or two that came through and attacked them and we saw it, you know, but, and nothing's really ever bothered them. You know, every once in a while you get an old one that's that dies, but, uh, Okay. Well, I think I got the cute bats. Another funny story. There was a bat one time I opened up the little storeroom that we had on the farm in Tennessee, and there was a bat in there, but right on the wall was a big fishing net, you know, the one you scoop out with. So I had the ingenious idea that I was going to go in there and just scoop them up really easily. So I told Jonathan, when I go in, shut the door behind me. I didn't mean deadbolt the thing, I just meant shut the door. And so I go in there and I grab that net. And as soon as I did, he started flying, trying to get out. And I'm screaming at Jonathan to open the door and he can't get the latch open. So me and that bat went around for about 30 seconds. And the boys started calling him Roger. He said, what's his name? And so I asked what, I said, let's name it. And he's named it Roger. And so when we came here, about a month or two after we'd been here, we put up some basic security lights and Eli was on the back porch and a bat came by and he said, Daddy, it took Roger that long to get here. I can't believe he found us. So Eli was convinced that Roger, it took Roger two months to fly from the United States. So Roger lives here in Honduras now. He's uh, he's speaking Spanish and eating bugs, eating Honduran bugs. So, but we do have some pretty freaky bugs too. Uh. Every once if you go far enough back on my Facebook, I used to take pictures of the the lab door is screen. And so for whatever reason at night, you know, the lights were on, the bugs and all would get on the screen. And when it started getting humid, they sort of stay put. And so there's tons of different butterflies and moths and freaky little bugs that are on there. Yes, I have a bilingual bat. His name is Roger or heard her, in, or heard her in, in Spanish. I think is how you would say it, but, uh, yeah, we've got some different stuff. And, uh, I got a gecko that was in the house and I caught him and I put him in the, um, uh, the cupping lab. And now that suckers like that long. And I don't know if that's FDA approved or not, but he, uh, I guess he eats all the spiders and bugs, but he's beautiful. He may not be a real gecko cause he's real colored up. Um, so I'm not sure if geckos changed their color or not. But now he's probably, the body is probably five inches long. So altogether, he's probably 10 inches long, tail and all. Uh, but you just see him hanging on the wall. He doesn't really, I've, I've picked him up a couple of times. He's not really scared of people. And his tail doesn't fall off. So I don't know if that makes a difference. But, uh, but yeah, we've got a couple unusual pets. And especially when I'm here by myself, I end up talking to the dog more. And I'm nicer to the cat that hates me. And so we have a cat named Gary that's uh, a girl, but his, her name's Gary, that uh, that just cusses at me all the time. <laughs> and we, we technically are. We are an FDA-approved lab here. But uh, I don't know if you can say geckos aren't allowed in a third-world country because there is absolutely no way to keep them out. Uh, <clears throat> I, they get in the house sometimes. They don't really bother anything. They just make noise. You know, they make that noise all night long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're having to look into some of the medical stuff cause I'm getting ready to open up the dental clinic and right now. We're under the license of, uh, the doctors and all that come out here from the other clinic. <clears throat> and so they can do remote clinic without having the license to license the place. But, uh, they, uh, we're going to have to like ceramic tile and really make the dental clinic up to snuff, you know, what a dental clinic would be. Yeah. The story on Gary is uh Sombra, which means shade. She's our black cat. She had kittens and the little kittens, there was like six kittens in the litter and they're all little fluffy, happy kittens, except for one from day one, when he opened his eyes, he hissed and cussed and didn't want to be picked up and would claw you and bite you. And his whole life, he's just hated everybody. He's just an angry, mentally disabled cat. And uh, so I had somebody come out to the farm. I hope none of you guys know Gary that came out to the farm. And he and I butted heads like crazy. And uh, uh, and so I, I was like, you know what? That cat's name is Gary. And so I named the cat Gary and uh, cause Gary doesn't like me and I don't like Gary. And so uh, then all of a sudden one day, Anna came up and she's like, you know, your cat Gary. And I'm like, yeah, and he's like, I think she's pregnant. And so Gary's had about three litters of kittens, but Gary's kittens are all normal. All the cats love everybody, uh, you know, but Gary still hates me. Uh, Gary will let me feed them and I'll give him some food, you know, hiss at me and try to claw at me. He's just, there's something mentally wrong with him, I think, but, uh, but Gary had one of the most beautiful cats a couple months ago. And so that's, uh, that's my new favorite cat. He's got a lot of different colors in him. it's like a calico, but Gary's not a calico. Gary's just gray and white. So that's probably why Gary's more angry because he's the ugly duckling of the two, but, uh, we'll always keep Gary. So I'll remember to, to be nice to people. No, but Gary's baby has our cat, Jaron, from Ranger's Apprentice. My son, Jonathan, uh, named him Jaron. It's uh, one of the characters in Ranger's Apprentice. so he had a cat that some guys brought down to him the first few months he lived here. And that cat, we called him Kitty, but his name was Jaron. His legal name on his papers were Jaron. We got Jaron fixed. Well, apparently it didn't take because one day I saw Jaren being really friendly with Gary and then now uh, Jaren was an orange cat and I forget what the breed was. Jonathan looked it up and I almost think it was a Turkish van. Yeah, it was a Turkish van was the variety that it looked most like. I doubt it was purebred, but anyway, it was a a big orange cat or had it was orange and white. So this new cat that's Gary's baby uh, had a lot of that orange in him. And so it, it showed a lot from his his father's breed. And so uh, that's one of the reasons we kept it because uh, Jaron died last year. And so it was really hard on Jonathan. Jonathan's 17 and just loved that cat, man. Because uh, a lot of the kids were mean to, uh, to Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan didn't know how to play football, like, you know, the real round football. Uh, And they'd make fun of him and laugh at him. And finally, he decided not to play with them anymore. And uh, they would ask him for a Coke or some chips. And he's like, we don't have any. And they'd leave, you know. And so uh, they just were never really friendly to him. I'm not sure why. And so these guys brought down that kitten one night and gave to Jonathan. And Jonathan just loved that cat and brought him in the house and lived in the house. And You know, we actually, we have these beautiful handmade wooden doors. We cut a hole in one of them so the cat could come in and out. Even took the thing to the United States with us the first time we came back for two months. Uh, He wanted to bring that cat. And so I paid the $200 to bring the cat. And so uh, I hate to admit it, but yeah, we did. He could be an Olympia fan. Uh, I like Olympia Olympia over Matagua. (laughs) Oh, no, Jaron was the smartest cat you've ever seen. Uh, He knew how to get his way with everything. He took over everything in the house. The cat loved butter. So I'm pretty sure he died of a massive heart attack because I like to leave the butter out. I'm not sure if that's healthy, but it's real soft and spreads easy. And so I do it. And when I scramble eggs, I just take the butter and do it and I, I keep it in a cup. Uh, we had to hide it from Jaron because he'd go up there and eat a quarter stick of butter, you know, or you'd get ready. You'd pick up the stick and you could tell where it had like tongue prints in it where he'd been eating the butter. And so for his birthday, I'd get him a spoonful of butter. You know, we knew when Jaron's birthday was because we celebrated it. Uh, but yeah, that cat learned how to manipulate us and, and do what he wanted to. So he ruled this house for six years or more. No, and Gary's just, uh, just crazy. <laughs> he might come to the window later on tonight because he's big on hamburger. When he smells hamburger, he knows I'll give him some a lot of times. No, I hope y'all can visit in February. Uh, February is almost the perfect time to visit the farm. Uh, January is chaotic because we have to round up and convince people to work at our farms, somebody else's farm. They're very finicky and particular and persnickety. Um, They'll pick for you one year and they'll go somewhere else the next year. So that first week or two, we're really driving around every night and every Sunday we're driving around, talking to people, trying to get them to come pick for us. February, we've got our workers set up and everything has fallen into place. And it's it's a very enjoyable month versus the chaos that you have in January. So when people visit the farm, uh, February is the best month to visit the farm. Because if you want to fool with drying, uh, with uh, roasting some coffee, then you can actually, you can roast January's coffee in February once it's roasted 30 days then we'll we'll roast it and drink it or once it's rested 30 days then we'll roast it and drink it and the 30 days starts when it's 13.1% humidity and it goes into the bodega <clears throat> it cools for 3 days and then we start the 30 day calendar and so the coffee has to be a minimum 30 days before we cup it uh And coffee in general needs to rest for 30 days. We try to rest. Um, We have some customers that buy our coffee in bulk that don't really care so much. Uh, And so they'll get that very last coffee that hasn't rested the 30 days. But the best coffees are lots one, two, three, and four. Lots five and six are really tiny lots. Lot one is a pretty small lot. Uh, The true lot one and two never gets labeled. It gets sent off but, uh, that's, that's sort of way coffee works. It works best if you, uh, if you dry it a little bit, I mean, you rest it a little bit after it's dried. That cat sure had a privileged life. Uh, he had his own little pillow and, uh, he had certain spots he liked to sleep. And when Jonathan did homeschool, he sat up on the desk with Jonathan and slept on his homework and everything else. And he destroyed what he wanted to destroy and just moved on with his life. And he would, uh, I crocheted a pillow for a lady, uh, for her little, for her son. And I came in one day and Jaron had just destroyed it (laughs) and, uh, came in from the farm, just covered in mud, uh, and laid on the pillow and just kneaded until he ripped it apart. And just, it was just covered in mud and he tore some of the stitches and with crocheting, once you tear that stitch, it's hard to fix it. And I'm looking at the pillow right now. I still got the pillow because I spent so much time on it. But uh, I enjoy crocheting sometimes. You know, when I'm, I have some free time, I'll sit down and crochet every once in a while. I mainly crochet baby blankets for women who just had a baby. And at my the librarian just had a baby. If y'all look at my Instagram today, I have a, I'm holding a little baby. And I went in the library and was taking a couple of pictures of the books and uh, I look over to my left and there's just a baby laying on a table. It's like a little three or four or five month old baby. Uh, she's just laying there happy as she can be. And so I went over and talked to her a little bit. Nobody else is in the library, just a baby. And, uh, and then I figured out it was Danny, our librarian, it was her baby. And so, uh, and then later on, Danny had to go to the bathroom. So I held the baby for about 10 minutes while she went to the bathroom. Um, uh, in going to the bathroom, she had to haul one gallon water, buckets of water up the hill so that she could flush the toilet because there's no water in the bathroom at that time. So I got to hold the baby while mama went to the bathroom. <laughs> I should buy a butter tray. There's a couple things that I meant to bring up here. I need a cheese slice slicer um, and a butter tray would be nice. A couple things like that. Uh, it used to, we were living here. We lived here for six years straight. And out of that six years, we probably spent maybe four months in the States out of that six years. Uh, you know, we celebrated Christmas here. Everything was here, birthdays and all that. Um, but, uh, we tried to bring what we, you know, necessities first. And so a butter tray would have definitely been nice. I've never seen one. I go through the markets on Sunday looking for coffee cups and we do our shopping and stuff. And I've never seen anything like a cheese slicer or one day I went to a store and they had the little egg slicer. And I like that. I'll put, uh, you know, that's what I have for breakfast some days. And when I'm going out in the farm, if I'm skipping lunch, I keep a dozen eggs boiled in the fridge. I'll throw a couple eggs in my pocket and go out in the farm and a lot of times I'll get a couple of avocados, a pack of crackers, and uh, they have little bitty packets of mayonnaise here. I'll take mayonnaise out with some boiled eggs and that'll be my lunch out in the farm. All right. Yeah, I think I probably will do a live broadcast on Wednesday just because uh, I'm flying into the States on Monday but I will do a live broadcast tomorrow uh, afternoon, sometime. Uh, probably I might just say three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to try to do a live on my cell phone from the project up on the Hill. Uh, if the Wi-Fi is, is being friendly, I'll do a live there at three o'clock tomorrow central time. So if any of you guys can, uh, uh, want to see the farm. Otherwise it'll be on Facebook and YouTube. So you guys can watch it later, but I'm going to walk around the project and do that. Uh, but guys, I am going to have to, I've got to call Eli before his bedtime and that is 10 o'clock. And so I appreciate all the questions. I appreciate everybody watching. I love seeing the numbers and the, the loves and the likes and all that. Uh, uh, I really enjoy you guys' questions and uh, participating in it. But we're trying to get our Instagram up. If you guys know somebody, you might recommend our Instagram too. Uh, But uh, definitely if you guys could do a Google review or something like that for Legacy Farms, uh, that's definitely helpful. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed talking with you, Becca and Will and Bob and Andrew and Richard and everybody else that came on tonight. Barry, I think Patrick, Bill, I, I don't know how many were on there. But send me any questions, any topics y'all want me to cover on the next one. And tomorrow night will be a lot about missions and just showing you guys around the project a little bit. But thanks, guys. Have a fantastic night, and we will talk to you tomorrow.